Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome to uh, episode 13 of the Johnson & Boone Podcast. My name's Mark. Uh, joining me this week is the Johnson in Johnson & Boone, Chris Johnson. Hi, Chris. How are we doing? Hi, Mark. Very well. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, Rob Rob has obviously taken these sporadic weeks off and, and left other people in the hot seat. It's your turn this week, which is fine because, of course, you're now a seasoned podcaster, yes. having broken the duck. Before I just go into a few um, standard bits of information, what is it that we're going to cover this week with you? Um, what we're going to talk about is um, financial orders um, in respect of any divorce proceedings, whether people should have a financial order in place, which is essentially a way of um, dividing the assets of a marriage um, on completion of the divorce. Okay. Um, for the benefit of everyone listening, if this is the first Johnson & Boone podcast you've listened to, if you go to johnsonandboone.co.uk, you'll find a tab that says podcasts. You can actually find all of the previous shows there. You'll also find links to all of the major podcast platforms uh, where you can subscribe so that every time a new show is uploaded, it will automatically download onto your device, which makes it even easier to keep track. Um, you can find episode 7, which is the uh, last show that Chris did, in which he covered divorce as a topic and we went through some of the brief vital facts that you would need to know about whether or not you need to have a divorce what the the, the grounds are for doing it um in that show obviously you mentioned financial orders as being sometimes part of that divorce process and sometimes being dealt with separately so if you want to go and listen to that show you can perhaps get a bit more background information and then some of what we we covered today will probably make a bit more sense um of course you can listen to the show in a whole host of other ways johnson and boone have a free to download mobile app on both apple and android app stores so if you go and download that um you can check out the shows and listen to them on the app as well as booking appointments with the team which chris will no doubt cover at, towards the end of the show um, you can also access the Legal Guard membership, which we're probably going to do a show on in its own right because it's a, a fantastic product that gives some great services to its its members. Um, it's almost like having your your solicitor at the uh, the tip of your finger, um, your beckoned call, 
um, so to speak, which normally costs you a fortune, but uh, with the Legal Guard offers you some great products without it costing the earth as well. Uh, so go and check all of those out. Um, so Chris, um, I suppose my first question turning to the topic at hand is what what is a financial order? And where does it fit into the divorce process? Um, well, a financial order is simply really, it's a mechanism for the division of the matrimonial assets between the parties. And you can't get a financial order um, unless you're in the process of a divorce and you um, get a financial order in place after the person who's issued the divorce petition has been able to uh, obtain the grant of a divorce um, from the courts and thereafter the the financial order can be applied for if it's already agreed for it may still be in the process of the parties seeking to iron out one or two matters and um, but in generally speaking um it's applied for as soon as possible after the decree nisi and um, you have one year from the decree nisi in which to um, apply for um, the decree absolute and so you should try to um, get the financial order sorted out as soon as possible after the decree nisi. And as I say, it's simply a method of trying to divide the matrimonial assets in a fair way. So I guess it's quite an important part of the process. Yeah, I think you know, you'll have a lot of people who, um, when they're getting divorced, the main concern is is how they're going to survive and how things are going to be after they get divorced and how are they going to, are they going to be able to remain in the property? What's going to happen with the kids? How are they going to divide um, the monies? Or simply who's going to pay the mortgage and how things are going to work? So it's, it's a real major issue. Um, some people don't get a financial order in place. Um, and that's, that's entirely up to them. Often it's when they've got no assets. They don't own any property. They think that they don't need to get and they've got nothing to put in an order anyway and that may well be the case but obviously um, without an order in place in the future if your circumstances change the other partner can come and look for you for need if they're in need of any financial assistance so um that's that's one way of, of, of doing dealing with a financial order which is to do nothing it's not something that we would ever recommend um and the the, the rest of it is really a way of then deciding which is the best way of achieving the order in a cost-effective way, really. And there's various ways you can do it. But really, our, our, our position is to advise people which, which avenue to go down. Financial order, people are probably more familiar with financial orders, with reading uh, big stories on in newspapers and on TV, I suspect, where you've got either big celebrities or very wealthy people who've had to go through the the divorce process and you've got these billionaires and how their assets are going to be divided up and and the like where does it it's obviously a, a huge area in itself and i suspect how financial orders are constructed is very subject to the circumstances of any particular couple but with this area of law what what's the rough gist of it has it is it something that's developed an awful lot over the last few years well, like every area of law, it, it develops incrementally. But the, the, over the past, say, 15 years, the, the, the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeal have tried to develop or interpret certain parts of legislation and um, 
put in place really a structure which is which is apparently to be used in all cases regardless of how much wealth is involved um and that's fine in, in itself but in, in practical terms it, it, it creates problems when there's not a great deal of wealth between the parties when there's wealth and there's enough to divide and people can move forward then the, the issues are really just about how much the division of that's going to be when there's not a great deal of wealth the every sort of penny to some people does count and it's very important that um you know they get the the due process completed properly. So in practical terms, in, in, in real terms, the provisions are correct, but in practical terms, sometimes they're a little bit unworkable and it takes a lot of working around the edges to get a fair deal for the client. And so what type of financial orders are available? What, what do they tend to look like? Um, well, there's, there's two types of orders. There's really an income uh, and a capital order. So an income order is really... Um, something where, well, first of all, you can get an income order once uh, for a maintenance pending uh, suit when the a divorce has started. That means really to really a short-term uh, order to where some parties in dire need of some sort of support. Um, and so you apply for that if there's no provision made by the other party um, so that they can survive essentially and, and work and live day to day until the financial order is in place. So that's one part of an income order. And the second part is the one that's normally in a final order, which is a periodic payment order. And that essentially is uh, regular payments of maintenance. Um, it's mainly unsecured in terms of it's in the order and one party is agreeing to pay that. Sometimes it can be secured and the party can be ordered to pay or capitalize that and pay capital to trustees as security. But the majority of those orders are simply somebody's agreeing to pay uh, spousal maintenance on a monthly basis. Okay, so you've got your, your income and your capital orders essentially. At what point during the divorce process does this part take place? Well, as I said, you can you can negotiate at um, at different levels. The as the income order is really the need for money at this time. The capital division is um, mainly the, the far greater element of, of financial orders um, where you're actually separating the um, capital that should be um, divided between the parties. Now that can involve a lump sum order. So it's a, in, in other words, a payment of cash, or it can be a property adjustment order where there's um, maybe potentially property changes hand from one party to the other. It may well be that you're seeking an, an order of sale of the matrimonial house in order that the, uh, which may well be the only main asset and the parties are then seeking to sell the property and then reach an agreement on how the net proceeds of sale are uh, concluded. So there's, there's various different things that are applicable. As I said before, I think you can only apply for the order at the stage of the decree NISI. Um, and also, the, the other main asset in any sort of financial order is the pensions. If the if, if, if parties have got, um, you know, big pensions, been in a pension scheme for a long time, final salary, those sort of pensions, um, they're also things that the court need to look at. So, what kind of points do the uh, court take into consideration when you do make an application? Um, well, well, they they basically decide. Um, obviously on the application 
of they look at a number of different things in in terms of of, of the people. But what they need to in an, any application is referred to section twenty five of the Matrimonial Clauses Act. Um, and there's a number of things that are relevant to any order, and and any practitioner needs to consider all of these when he's seeking to agree um, a, a consent order with with his um, other other solicitor on the other part. And they are the welfare of the children, um, length of marriage, the income and earning capacity of the parties, what are the needs of the parties, the ages of the parties, what sort of standard of living did they have when they were together, has there been any major contributions to the pot, what are the pensions, and any other financial resource that may be relevant. Um, in relation to the above, um, just in terms of children, I'd just like to point out that whilst welfare of children is um, of the first concern for the court, it is not, as in the Children's Act, the paramount concern. Um, in other words, if a child's living in a property, it doesn't mean to say that it can't be sold and an order can't be made. Um, but it is a first consideration for the court. Okay. Um, when when you're talking about what's been taken into consideration, what what is the ultimate aim that the court is trying trying to create as a sort of a final outcome? Are they trying to ensure that both sides are able to maintain their standard of living after the divorce? Are are they trying to ensure that they, there's a as fair and equal split of the the marital assets as possible? What 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 is the, the ultimate aim that, that's trying to be achieved? Because, of course, both sides, particularly if it's not a very, if it's a very acrimonious split, will be probably taking quite a hard stance on what they want and why they want it. And so a court will ultimately have to come in as a, as a mediator almost to try and resolve it in some sort of fair way. Yeah, I think I think the, the 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 issue really for the court is that they their aim is to that there is a form of equality for the for the, of income and for the people moving forward, and their aim is that both parties is, is able to make the transition from a, a couple so that they can now move forward and work um, on a, an independent living basis, and that they can survive um, the obviously because a marriage when a marriage breaks up. Um, it's very emotional, and people um, are, need need to have some sort of certainty in the financial aspect of their lives. So, what one what the court doesn't want to be seeing is one party seeking to take advantage of the other, move forward and keep keep all of the assets or attempt to keep the assets, and the other party who perhaps doesn't know how to deal with it or what to do is left sort of pondering where the next um, payments are going to come from. So, it is it is a case of. Uh, there is an equality um, of the parties in terms of um, that they are in the position that they're in now. They're able to move forward in a way that provides them with independent living and at the same time provides security for them in the short term. Does the conduct of the parties have any relevance on the decision? Well, if somebody's being evasive, okay, um, or not, or not complying, or um, entering into the uh, the negotiations in a in a balanced way, and they're actually seeking to hide finances in some way, and not providing full and full disclosure, full and frank disclosure. 
um, or they're not simply complying with the orders and they're just not or they're ordered to to disclose this or disclose that document and don't do so um, then the court can make an order and as I say the court has the powers to make any orders that they wish in relation to these matters and particularly in the division of the assets um, you know people can actually be sent to jail there, there have been cases where people have failed or fragrantly decided they're not going to comply with the order and there has been penal notice applied in those cases but these are very rare conduct is not something that is normally taken into account and um, conduct is a matter that's really relevant to the divorce um like the unreasonable behavior of a party on adultery or um some other matter but but it's not something that's in in, in terms of financial orders um it's it, it taken to the to the degree um that one would expect or maybe perhaps would consider it would be and people are sometimes a bit shocked about that um but that's what it is, unless it's flagrant and gross behaviour that, that deems a penalty, um, it's not taken into account. People often like to put things in nice, tidy little boxes. Uh, and I suspect this is one of those kind of circumstances where that's just not realistic. Um, when it comes to dividing the assets, what falls into the category of needing to be considered? So is it only things that have been... Uh, accrued during the course of the marriage so for example say a property if if you have a property which you owned prior to getting married and you're now getting divorced where does that property fit into the the whole process is, is that something that needs to be taken into consideration when you're you're looking at the the assets or is that something that might fall outside of that remit um well, again, this is a, this is a, an, another area that probably needs um, more clarification. And the courts essentially look there's, there's, there's two arguments in relation to this matter. The the first part is what is matrimonial property, and the second part is what is what what is actually non-matrimonial assets. And to give you an example of what they may be, um, it, it it could be as you say properties that are owned before one party moves into the marriage. It could be the gifts that they've received. Um, it could be an inheritance that they've received. Um, so that would be non-matrimonial assets in terms of it's not something that you've um, essentially accrued during the marriage in the sense of through your own um, work between you working together. But nonetheless, they are assets. Um, and at the same time, um, as opposed to the matrimonial assets, which includes everything that you as a couple have worked together, um, and, and that might be by joining the time together. You've developed a business. It may be that you've developed your pensions. You've you've increased your property. You bought bigger and better property, and they're matrimonial assets. So the the, the argument in relation to this is that um, the courts have confirmed that in cases it may be justified in in treating non-matrimonial assets differently from matrimonial assets. Um, essentially, it depends on the needs now and wealth. Now, in terms of needs, needs is a, is a completely different issue to somebody who's got lots of money and somebody who hasn't got lots of money. Um, and so it, it ultimately, what appears to be the, the position now is that um, some of these matters will be arguable as ring, to be ring-fenced but others, um, in the event that the other party still has needs and can't be sufficiently meet those needs out of what's left in the pot, it'll be argued that they should be brought into the into the pot, and that there'll be a decision in the courts whether they.
they, it is justified in leaving them outside or whether they should form part of the overall um, division of the assets. So needs at the end of the day is probably um, the answer to that question. It just depends on, again, each case is on its own merits and each case will have a different sort of um, division of assets and money and assets to be considered. In terms of the process, uh, how does that work? You, you sort of mentioned um, that the financial order is, is, is a separate part of the divorce process, but does kind of formulate part and parcel of the, the overall process. You mentioned having to make an application. Um, who makes that application? What what generally goes in it? And how how what's the process in terms of getting from that first point of the application through to when the court makes a decision? Okay, um, well... Basically, the, the, the courts um, don't get involved at the start of this process. The courts get involved. What tends to happen is a client will come to you, they're getting divorced, um, and in that, they will, and often, whilst they, they're not happy about getting divorced, um, the main concern will be that what's going to happen to the assets. Now, they can reach an agreement between themselves and they can formulate an agreement which they can ask a solicitor to formulate into a consent order. I wouldn't recommend that they try to do one themselves, um, but but that's what they should do now, simply because they've agreed something in, a, in, a, in an agreement between them and it's formulated in a consent order format. doesn't mean to say that the court will approve that order because they haven't had any financial advice on it or any disclosure. It's simply an order that, that, that's been formulated for them into a prescribed form um, and that would go forward. More often than not, though, um, two things happen. The solicitor will say, okay, well, we'll deal with the finances, apply to the other party and say, have you got a solicitor? We're trying to deal with the finances amicably. Um, do you agree to enter into a voluntary disclosure of all your assets and liabilities with a view to achieving an amicable consent order? Um, often that's the way forward and it can be reached that way. Sometimes it can't, and it, it's they're not speaking to each other, um, and or they're only speaking in in in, in like short spurts, um, and you may have to go to mediation in the end because they simply won't agree on things. Now, they, if if it becomes something that parties can't reach agreement, it's probably gonna it's gonna have to go to mediation anyway, because before you can issue uh, an intention to to seek a financial order at court. You have to show that you tried to go down the mediation route. Now, what happens with that is one party will go get a mediator, um, invite the other party to come to the mediation um, or give them a number of mediators to select the mediator and again, invite them to come. If they don't turn up at the mediation, at that point, the person who's tried can get a mediation certificate, which to say, we tried negotiation, we tried mediation, uh, and now seeking an order via the court, and then it goes through the court process. It's not something that you should be pushing your client to go down that route, because inevitably, once that happens, you end up having a number of court hearings. You end up paying not only solicitor's fees, but the barrister's fees, um, and there can be a number of hearings that they have to go to. So there can be the first appointment, which um, is really a directions matter, setting out the positions of the parties. Them and then what will be is a financial uh, dispute resolution hearing, which is um, an FDR, 
and that's where the parties try to agree something at court. Um, and if that can't be agreed, it then goes to a final hearing where a judge will make the ultimate decision after both parties have given evidence. So uh, it's not something that we recommend, but ultimately sometimes it has to go down that route. You mentioned mediation. Some people might not actually understand what mediation is. Now, we could probably spend an entire show going through mediation in itself, but just briefly, uh, could you explain what the setup is when when you have to go to a mediation hearing? Are you sitting in a small room uh, up close to the person that you hate most in the world and and with two lawyers arguing violently over a table or, or... No, I mean, in, in mediation, um, the lawyers aren't involved at that point. The lawyer, so we're recommending, so they go to a recommended um, a approved mediator. Now, that mediator will simply um, write to both parties, invite them to mediation. Um, and there may well be that there's a number of uh, meetings between them. And the mediator will, like in any mediation, try to, uh, first of all, agree what is agreed between them and then try to focus on the areas that are not agreed and whether there's any way in which there can be uh, movement in terms of a compromise either way or what, what other parts would be happy to trade, maybe say more of the house equity for some of the pension, um, things like that. Um, so she'll explore or they or he will explore both, both all the avenues that are open to them. And if at the end of it, so she will invite them, first of all, to come to the meeting. She will ask them to fill in financial disclosure of all their assets, um, all the outgoings, all the needs in the future, um, including, you know, day-to-day -day needs. And at the end of that, she's got a picture that she can then, when they come to the meeting, um, sort of have, a, have an idea if the matter went to court, how the court would probably view this matter. And then she would try to, as I say, see what can be agreed, what can't be agreed and move forward on that basis. And if often that works, um, but, um, and, and if, they, if it does work, then the mediator will provide a memorandum of understanding, which means that that's what they've agreed. It's not legally binding until a consent order is in place, um, but, it, but it, is, it is something that the mediator will do. And it, you know, it's, it's better than going through an adversarial court uh, where you've got to give evidence at the end. But ultimately, you need two people to tango and if one person is determined that he's not going to or she's not going to deal with it this way then the mediation will fail um just because a mediator writes you doesn't mean you're going to go to it um but the other person then has little or no option but to then get the certificate to say he's tried for mediation or she's tried for mediation and then move forward with an application to the court at which point the costs really start to um get into a position where um I mean, it's essentially, people are in reality you know, are paying monies that they don't need to pay if they took a, a different attitude. But like in every walk of life, sometimes it can't be until somebody else determines it. And often people want the day in court. So the mediator is very much there to try and encourage people to, to find a middle ground. And ultimately, if people don't want to find that middle ground or can't, then it moves more onto the, the adversarial court process, yeah. really. Because, because you, because you, essentially, you, you. By that point, you probably try to have a discussion with, with with your partner at the point of your leaving or separating. You've probably gone to a solicitor who's written to either your partner or a solicitor and tried to do a, a, a um, sort of very a general um, discussions on um, what sort of agreement can be reached. 
And if there's clear that there's the parties are miles apart and they're not going to agree, then they probably then they need they'll need to go to mediation. A mediation will then try and narrow the issues. But if they can't, then unfortunately it's a matter of um, going to court. Often the cost of the court focuses the mind. As always, when it when it starts to hit the uh, bottom line, people tend to become a bit more interested, don't they? Um, it, yeah, a bit more. Um, I mean, and that's it's, it's not it's not it's not something that is you know. I mean, I do, it, you know, most of my clients will say that I always say to them that is the result that if you can avoid, let's try and avoid it. But um, you know, you'll you'll always get situations where you end up cold. It's a horrible question to ask. But how long does getting a financial order from start to finish generally take for, say, a very average Mr. and Mrs. Smith type situation? Um, up to a year, six to eight, six months to a year, it'd be a very average. But they can go longer. I suspect um, the more complicated, the bigger the asset wealth, the more yeah, complex I mean, it is. You know, they can go longer if there's lots of different issues. I mean, particularly if there's, if, you know, there's lots of like companies or self-employed people um, and disclosure is disputed, um, matters can, can drag on. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, cost increases. So um, in, in a general sort of thing, it, it is within six months to a year in terms of you doing it, but in but other other cases can go on in, into the second year um, and drag on and drag on until ultimately the court makes the decision for them. Fab. Have I covered everything you think they might I think, need? I think, I think you have covered everything. I mean, this is just a very general overview. Um, as uh, The thing that I would say is obviously each case is on its own. It's, it's decided on its own merits. There are, there are no two cases that are the same. Um, there are certain things that people... Um, you know, the yardstick of equality um, of, you know, each party getting um, starting on a 50-50 basis um, will depend will depend from there all the other issues that the court needs to take into consideration. But um, if anybody has got any um, advice that they need from us, we're happy to give them a general overview. Um, and then thereafter, if um, they are involved in a sort of divorce matter then and we can um, help them get through the process hopefully sooner than later yeah very much so it certainly sounds to me like there are elements of of legal areas where people can have a go at doing it themselves this sounds like something which is probably far too complex and actually will cost you a great deal more if you try and do it yourself without the specific knowledge that you need and it then unravels. Yeah, I think at least if one thinks about it in these terms, that you know there are a number of Section Twenty Five factors to take into consideration. There are a number of other issues that may be brought into play in terms of um, arguments about inheritance and arguments about gifts and all of these other matters. When people are drafting their own agreement, it probably doesn't comply anyway with the provisions that are required. But also. If it goes wrong, then they they don't know where to turn with that. And often, when they then come to the solicitor, um, they're already too far apart to stop it from to, to you know to stop it from escalating further. So um, it's better really to get some basic advice, and then and then you can move forward with it. 
Um, I'd always advise them to get, if, they are, if they're arguing over any sort of property, they should get advice. Um, and, and we're here if we can to help them, um, to help obviously stop, well, make the process quick and maybe save, save them additional costs that's going to be necessary in the end anyway. And if people do want to get in touch, um, how, how can they do that? Um, well, they can get in touch in, in all of the ways that you've mentioned previously on these podcasts. You can get in touch with us, obviously, through our main office line. They can go onto our website. Um, they can they can view um, all, in, all, all of our different... We've got an app that people can contact us to make um, appointments. Um, or, they can, or they can just, you know, write into us by email um, at info at Johnson and & Boone, um, and we'll respond to them and um, we will give them some advice and take it from there. They can ring and make, um, a, a, a apply to have a consultation appointment with us, which we're happy to set up with them. And that can be either by telephone, which has been more recent because of COVID, or in, uh, in the future, hopefully we'll be back and they can come in face to face and have a discussion with us there. And then from there, they can decide which is the best way forward. Absolutely. So if you want to get in touch with them on by telephone, it's, 01516372034. The email, as Chris just mentioned, is info at johnsonandboon.co.uk. You can get more information about all of the services that they offer, uh, that we offer on uh, johnsonandboon.co.uk website. Um, download the app, just type in Johnson and Boone into the search terms and you'll find it. Um, and, and as I say, you can download it with a whole host of uh, useful tools that are then at your disposal and you can book an appointment through the app, which is really handy. Um, and then you can either, um, well, hopefully very soon do it face-to-face once this pandemic lockdown is uh, done. But in the meantime, telephone or or via the Tinterweb. In fact, are you finding that online meetings with clients are, are, are just as effective? But to be honest, I mean, we, we, we've been doing a number of these matters, as I say, by Zoom or online media. And they do, they do actually work, don't they? Because you're still seeing the people. You can, you can get a feel of the person that you're, you're talking to. Um, so, I mean, in my view, it works. It, it's here to stay. Um, and, and even telephone hearings through the court, although, um, although the, um, there is some disadvantages of, um, of that, there are also lots of advantages where you have a set time, the, the judge comes on, you're on, you do your appointment, and then you move on to your next that you're going to do rather than going to court waiting around for you know potentially two or three hours to get to get to get on and uh, have your hearing so i think they're here to stay if people want to do it that way we 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 encourage that um and um if but if people at the same time don't are not uh, you know are not afraid with technology and want to come in face to face then hopefully we will be back doing that but in the meantime um we, we still offer the telephone station if that's the way they want to deal with it. Well, hopefully you've enjoyed the show, guys. If you have, um, it'd be fantastic if you'd give us a review, um, whether it be on Apple or um, Google Play, Spotify, preferably five stars. Uh, we'd, we'd love some constructive criticism also. Um, be soft and nice because I'm a, a sensitive soul. Um, <laughs> you can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, twitter and linkedin it's at johnson and boone check out the uh, the content there is really good 
there's loads of uh, tips there's lots of interesting information that you can uh, get access to using that which might just add a bit more value and possibly even help reduce your legal cost by being forewarned is forearmed as they say chris is correct yeah do we know what topic we're going to be covering next week um, well, we're doing next week, we're going to be discussing, um, because of the, the current position where lots of people are, are on furlough um, and the economy's in, um, obviously, a downturn, we're going to be talking to people about what they what they should do if they're offered a settlement agreement um, in relation to dismissing them generally by way of redundancy um, and what, the, what, what it actually means and what the provisions are. And what you know, what advice they should seek in in those circumstances if they're unhappy to enter into one. Very topical subject to touch on, certainly at the moment where where the uh, the furlough scheme, which just to put this into context, we're just coming out of a lockdown pandemic, and um, the furlough scheme which the government put in place to help give some support to businesses is slowly being phased out because, of course, as much as we'd like it to be the case the government i guess can't afford to financially support everyone forever um, <laughs> otherwise it'd be a nice way of earning a living wouldn't it chris uh, if we could all get paid for doing nothing all day it would be a great way of earning a living if we could um, if we could carry on indefinitely but um it's ending in october it's been phased down from august um unfortunately lots of firms are already announcing um, major redundancies um and inevitably and regrettably Lots of firms will um, be considering what's happened over the period, seeing whether they need to continue with the same workforce, seeing what their um, actual orders are um, and moving forward. And, and there will be some employment casualties. And again, we're here to try and help people go through that process. Brilliant. Well, don't miss that show at all. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. That's been a great show. Thanks, Mark. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.